Welcome in once again to the Jack Mitchell podcast. I am your host, Jack Mitchell, unsurprisingly, and glad to have you back with us. We are now into season three of the Jack Mitchell podcast and now affiliated with Podcast House Media. If you're not familiar with Podcast House Media, I'd encourage you to go over to podcasthousemedia.com and you're going to find this podcast there. You're probably listening to it maybe through Spotify or Pocket Cast or the Apple Store right now, but you can browse all of our other podcasts. We're building a local regional podcast network with a variety of stuff on it, and I'm hoping uh, no matter what you're into, you're going to be able to find something on there that you like. Uh, something on there that might be a little bit local as well. And so check that out. It's growing all the time. We're working on our lineup. Uh, I'm hoping to pull in just a couple of a uh, couple of more podcasts here in the next week or so as well to add to the lineup. And if you know of an independent podcast, if you know of somebody who should be doing a podcast, that might help from a little distribution help. That might help from a little marketing help. Shoot them my way. Shoot me a message on Twitter or Facebook or uh, however you can find me, that would be awesome. Now, for the Jack Mitchell podcast and the return for season three, I've made a commitment. I want to make sure I am uh, I'm putting out a new episode every week on a Thursday. And I, I did that during season two as well, for the most part, with a couple of exceptions. I also learned, though, when you are relying on having a long-form interview guest every week, that can get a little tricky uh, in terms of scheduling, in terms of availability, and you know, at some point, you you just have fewer uh, fewer ideas in terms of who the guests you're going to use are. And so, I still plan to do the long form interviews. In fact, uh, I'm going to have more coming up in the next few weeks. But there are going to be some opportunities to try some different formats of the show, and I hope you like them. They they may uh, they may work really well. We may listen to them. We may come back and we say, yeah. Nah, not this one. Maybe it's something else. So we're, we're going to see. I think you're going to enjoy what I'm going to do today on the show. And I, I've never really had a, a platform to just kind of go back and, and tell stories in long form as well. And some of the things that I love to talk about and bits and pieces of it have come out on my radio show over the years, probably on social media, if you've followed me as well, but never had a chance to really actually tell some of the the stories or uh, get into my theories or those sorts of things. And so we're going to try that today. We're going to do a a top 10 list today. And you might be saying, oh boy, the millionth podcast, the millionth media source that has some sort of a top 10 list. And uh, it it could be 10, it could be 12, it could be eight. I just want to talk about some related topics. And today... We are going to go into one of my favorite topics of all time that I got to talk about in bits and pieces, but not a whole lot. And that is nostalgia. And for me specifically, nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia that I've got for my childhood growing up in in Nebraska, in, in Lincoln, Nebraska. But for those of you who are Omaha people, I think you're going to enjoy a big part of this as well, or anywhere in the state of Nebraska. And so I am going to talk today, we're going to go through my list of what I have ranked as the 10 most nostalgic places of my youth, the the places I go back to in my mind that I can I can hear, I can smell, that brings me back to that part of your childhood that just seemed incredibly exciting that you are at these places and experiences and and moments where you can hear the song that was playing at the time that feels so much like just a certain year and a certain time of your life and with people that you either don't see nearly as much anymore who may not be around anymore and that's what I want to do today and I had so much fun prepping for this going through my list trying to figure out where those places were for me and I'm excited to hear where they are for you. If you, 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 you may have some of them that you share with me. You may have some that um, that are completely different for me. You may have some that I completely forgot as well. But I, I want to know where those places. And and I'm talking about again just to further define it. Fun as a kid is different than fun as an adult, right? I think we can all agree to that. There's something especially. 
There's just something especially about that unbridled level of happiness when you got to do certain things as a kid that you perceived as fun. And so I've, I've really tried to narrow those down and, and talk about them and the things that I remember. So let's get into it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do uh, a few of these here this week. We'll knock out as, as many of we, as we have time for, um, and then we'll do maybe the second half, the second five on the show next week because we'll spend a little time on these different things, and, and I think we'll have fun for it. So maybe just a little background first. So I think people might think that I spent my entire childhood, was born in Nebraska, grew up all my years here. I actually did not. That's actually not not true, although I've always been connected to the state. My, my father was uh, a pastor and my mom a teacher, and I was born in Mitchell, South Dakota. Now, both of them were from... Lancaster County, Nebraska, rural Lancaster County, Nebraska, went to Norris High School, um, ended up graduating from the University of Nebraska. They both got secondary degrees, degrees from the University of Nebraska as well. And uh, my dad then went on to seminary. After he went to seminary, he was uh, in, in some other spots and ended up at a church in Mitchell, South Dakota, which is where I was born in 1977. So I spent some of my early years there which I remember some of, but in the spring of 1986, I believe April of 1986, I had just finished, it would have been second grade, and my dad got an opportunity to come back to Lincoln, Nebraska, where my mom and my dad's family were, and so we moved in spring of 1986, which sucked for me at the time, because I had friends, and I was not at a particularly super difficult age to move, but still, second grade into third grade, You've got a lot of things. It's everything you know at that point. And so I always have empathy for kids that move, uh, especially at difficult times of their lives. So we, we moved up to, uh, to I guess I should say down to, to Lincoln, Nebraska in 1986. And so I spent the summer of 1986 in Lincoln while my dad took a job uh, at a church here in Lincoln, uh, Hope Reformed Church. And my mom began working at a she was a teacher she was an elementary music teacher in South Dakota and she ended up getting a job in the child development center so going with younger kids uh but all the way up through older kids that was then run by St. Elizabeth and SRI SRI was called was selection research eventually got absolved into Gallup and um, it were it, it was this was it was had the offices that are now Southeast Community College buildings I believe they're on about 68th just south of 68th and O Street and so St Elizabeth Hospital is right across the street from it and so the employees of those two businesses got together and uh, formed form essentially a child care place for the employees of there and so my mom was working there when we got started and that's how I began my summer was in between second and third grade was being a part of this uh, daycare child development center where my mom was actually working. And she eventually, I mean, long story short, she eventually worked with SRI, got a job at SRI, the business itself, not the child development center, yada, 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 blah, 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 years passed, and she eventually became the head of education at Gallup many years later and worked with school districts all around the country, helping them select the best teachers and administrators and so forth. But my memories of growing up in Lincoln really start there in 1986. And then they go on through, this is really kind of the 1986 to 1996 probably is what it is. I graduated high school in 1996. So I had 10 years of childhood in Nebraska that I really consider childhood ages ages what nine eight eight to 18 um august 7th i would have turned august 7th of that 1986 i would have turned nine and so eight to 18 so a 10-year period the places that i have the most fond memories of the experiences that i have the most fond memories of in and around lincoln so let's get into them we're going to start with number 10. And these are ordered kind of roughly, kind of roughly in terms of bottom to top, you know, lowest to most important. 
they're also kind of ordered in the way that I've got the uh, in terms of the the research that I've done as well too. So keep that in mind. The order isn't a huge deal. Let's not overreact to any of that. But like many kids, I think of that era or any era, ice cream played a big part in my in my growing up. And even if you go back to to South Dakota. Before we moved to Nebraska, it was Dairy Queen there. Okay, it was it was not necessarily the the local the most local place. I don't know if we had a there was a local place down there. Dairy Queen was a place to go there. And a year or two before I moved, they introduced the helmet Sundays. Now, for those of you who don't know, this is a baseball helmet, a batting helmet with ice cream in it. It's like you see sometimes in baseball stadiums now, but there was something that hit different about that promotion when I was a kid because you could take that helmet home and you could collect those helmets and you had that decision every time that you walked in and they had the little display with the divisions, right? AL AL Central, AL East, AL West, and and they they had them in the standings and I had to pick, okay, which one am I getting next? Which one am I adding to my collection and the level of nostalgia that I have just thinking about that experience of picking out which helmet, then getting the Sunday in it, right? Then slurping up the last little bits of it and bringing it home to wash off and spreading them out on my bookshelf or on my table or wherever it was were amazing. I don't know why, like, but I do remember that I picked, I picked weird ones. I know the first one that I picked, the first two that I picked were the Padres and the Phillies because the T-ball league I played in then named the teams after Major League Baseball teams. I don't think they checked on the intellectual property availability of those names, but they did it nonetheless. And so I was into the Padres and the Phillies at that time as a, as a pretty young kid. Now, I wasn't watching games on – the only games we were watching on TV for the most part at that time were the World Series. I, I do remember in 84, the Padres – 84, the Padres, or was it 83? Padres played the Tigers. And so I was, I was a Padres guy for a while. Just because that was the name of my T-ball team. And I kind of switched every year because we bounced around. The kids who played in the afternoon were the National League. The kids who played in the morning were the American League. I was an afternoon kid. So I was Padres, Phillies, and then I think Astros at the end. So I think I also ended up with the Astros. I think I got the Oakland A's uh, at, at that time. I don't know why. The funny thing is I'm a Royals fan. Now. I'm kind of a diehard Royals fan now. I don't think I ever got the Royals one. I don't. That was way down on my list for ones that I got, which is crazy because that would have been right in the heyday of when they were really good, including when they won the World Series. And I remember being excited about that, too. But I don't remember having the Royals one. I remember very clearly Padres, A's, Pirates. Why did I have the Pirates? I don't know. I had the Pirates and ended up putting together, I think I probably about a third of the teams in my collection. I don't know if they were all available at all of the stores. But that was Dairy Queen. That was in my South Dakota years. Then we went to Lincoln, okay? And we moved into a little house on South 51st Street in Lincoln, roughly about 51st and South Street now. So not far from Brian, I guess it's called Brian LGH East, or Brian East. Um, <laughs> calling calling the hospital the right thing is about as hard as calling Twitter the right thing right now. Uh, but it was then, it was it was Brian, uh, as opposed to LG, Lincoln General Hospital, which was uh, further to the to the south and to the west there. And I went to elementary school there at Holmes Elementary. But the closest ice cream place for us, and ice cream was just like, you know, that was the treat on a summer night. Closest ice cream to us was at uh, Goodrich. And so Goodrich became the norm for me, Goodrich Dairy. And I didn't realize, I thought Goodrich was just a Lincoln thing. Evidently not. Evidently it was Omaha, obviously, but it looks like it expanded quite a bit regionally, and this was like decades old. And I'm only able to find a little bit of the background on Goodrich Dairy now, but we're talking going back to the 1930s, it looks like. And the things I remember about Goodrich, number one is my dad always bought the our family's milk there. And it came in glass bottles, and so every time that we went back in, even to get ice cream at night... He'd bring a washed-out glass bottle back, turn it back in, and then get a new one that was that was filled up with milk. So we had all our milk out of like glass bottles at that period of time. 
which we didn't prior to that. We drank, we had it in cartons like everybody did prior to that. But we got to Lincoln and we're like drinking out of glass bottles for milk right now, which, by the way, much better. It's very tempting to drink straight out of the container when you have those glass bottles. But Goodrich introduced me to the malt, okay? And I am, I am passionate on this issue, malts versus shakes. And this is, I think this is uh, due a lot to my father's influence, but I am a malt guy. And I almost, I almost turn my nose up even today at shakes because shakes are more widely available. The big difference, obviously, is malts have malt, malted milk powder. And it makes all the difference in the world to me. I am uninterested in your shakes, even though I'll still have them now. Because malts, where, where even has malts right now? Where is that a normal thing that you get anymore? At Goodrich, that was at the top of the menu. That was the signature item, the chocolate malt at Goodrich. Even as a even as a nine, ten year old, I'm getting that before I'm getting an ice cream cone, a small malt. But it feels like history has not been kind to the malt. Is that just me? I, I, I would say of the place that have shakes and or malts, I would say eighty percent of them only have shakes. Like you can go to can't go to McDonald's and get a malt. You can get a shake, right? Does I assume Dairy Queen has a malt on the menu, but I don't even know for sure anymore. Culver's has malts. That's good. They've got that. There there are probably some places that I'm forgetting, but that was the thing at Goodrich. And I will tell you, I I don't know that I think there's a, that I've ever had a better one than I had there. And I still very occasionally. I'll still very occasionally because they still have them open. They're not, they're not owned. They've been, I think, in in the '90s, they were sold to individual franchisees for Goodrich. I think the malts are still the same recipe. I don't know for sure, but it's probably still the best in Lincoln. I I would say I haven't gone on a taste test recently, but I think so. And then the other thing I always remember about getting there is they're all that we would sometimes go there with my cousins. My sister would be there sometimes, and it's not like I was you know, a real mature kid at nine, 10, 11 years that we were doing this, but the little kids I would always frown on because they would always get one of two things. They would get bubble gum flavored ice cream, which I don't know that I've even had to this day because it sounds like such a horrendous concept with ice cream with chunks of bubble gum in the whole thing that you then have to chew while you're eating the ice cream. I hate the concept. I think it's a terrible concept. I always have. And then the other thing is uh, they were big on, like, the really brightly colored sherbet, which, like, even if even if you go to, I just came back from Italy a few months ago, and you go get gelato, they're like, stay away from the brightly colored stuff. If you're getting gelato, go for the most boring colors. Go away, run away from the shops that have very beautifully colored gelato. And so I think I knew that innately, even when I was um, in my formative years. And so I stayed away from that. I'm a I'm a vanilla chocolate guy for the most part. I'm not a fruit flavored guy when it comes to ice cream. I'm, j- I'm just not. But at Goodrich, it was always the malt, and it was always the chocolate malt, 100. percent And we went to the one that was just off 48th Street. So it would be um, I don't even remember what the side street is, but it's the street for those of you who are in Lincoln that Eden Pool is on. It's not there anymore. It hasn't been there for a long time, uh, I, and it's it's just probably a block or so to the south of 48th and Normal, where that was located. Um, actually, I think it was the next block further past the one that Eden Pool was on. And that was the one that we always went to. A little bit later, we went down there to the one on North 48th that is still, well, it's Lamar's Donuts now. But that that was also uh, a Goodrich where we went to as well. And so the logo still gives me good vibes. Just the G in the Goodrich. When I see it, the 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 cups, the smell of that place, it's not quite the same. You know, they brought in the popcorn. For a while, they partnered with TJ Cinnamons, which was this ridiculous cinnamon roll place, great cinnamon rolls, but they they, they partnered with them. They partnered with Colby Ridge. Um, the malts have been de-emphasized, and I've been sad to see it. I've been sad to see it, but that was always the go-to treat. That, for me, we went to Dairy Queen. Everybody still went to Dairy Queen occasionally. But like Goodrich was for the special trips. That was for the that was for the big moments. Was always Goodrich. So I miss the days of Good. There was also one. You guys remember there was also one kind of by campus, sort of by where the Devaney Center is. 
that building you can still tell it looked like it had a real distinct design still like uh still like a goodrich and i think there were a couple of others that were in town in lincoln um and i don't know how prominent they are outside of lincoln anymore i actually don't know i assume there's still some in omaha but you guys left to let me know if that's the case waiting on a tax return hopefully it ends up in your hands fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30 percent in 2023 if you're in a bind this tax season lifelock can help our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Speaking of Omaha, my number nine. My number nine is actually from Omaha. Because there was a spot in Omaha... That my, to the degree I had a circle of friends, of close friends, while I was in elementary school, we had a place in Omaha we were obsessed with. And so, anytime you had a birthday party, we were going to Omaha. We were going to this place. All all three, four of us that were in this little group. And so, those of us who had summer birthdays, and it was, all, it was in the summer, obviously, which you'll find out why here in just a second, it was just the expectation that the birthday party was going to be a trip to Omaha. Off of I-80, about 72nd Street, between 72nd and 84th, I want to say. I need to nail down my geography on where this place was exactly. And I think you almost have to be my age. I'm, I'm maybe the bottom end of, of remembering this. So I'm, what, 46 now? So if you're 46, especially like 46 to 55, 60 now, you probably remember this. But it was a water slide. It was a group of water slides called Moby Dick. And I know Omaha's got their history with Peony Park and with Funplex. We were never going. Lincoln was not going to those places. Or at least I wasn't. Maybe everybody else was. I did go to Peony Park a couple of times. I bet I went to Moby Dick 20 times in Omaha, at least during my childhood. It was a trip. It was a trip for birthday parties, the uh, the summer program, um, daycare type thing that I was going to in those years. It was always a field trip, at least a time or two from that. We got up there every chance we could, and it was just sort of in a sort of industrial area, if you remember. And there were, I believe, four. I believe there were four slides. There was a red slide, a yellow slide, a blue slide, and a green slide, if I recall. The red slide was furthest to the right. The red slide was crazy. You were The red slide had a bit of a lore about it. You, There were at least stories that many people had, fallen, had gone up so high on one of the embankments, on one of the turns of the red slide, that they had fallen right out of it and gotten injured. And... It feels like, by the way, every amusement park, every water park had stories like that that you believe to be true, which I don't know that they really were. I mean, we could do a whole section on Worlds of Fun and those stories as well. But that was uh, that was always the thought. Like, you're if you're really crazy, you're going down the red slide and you're trying to get full speed on that thing. So I, you know, you'd sort of you'd start out, you'd do a few of the blue slides, get a yellow in there, mix that sort of thing up, and eventually, when you were ready for it. You, you get the red slide. If I recall correctly, you had a choice of going down either like bareback or on a little bit of like a mat. I think you had a, I think you had a choice or maybe the, maybe you did want to have the mat. I don't quite remember on that. Um, but if you, if you didn't use the mat, as I recall, it was way more crazy. You were able to build up speed a lot more because there wasn't as much friction, especially when, when you were a little skinny kid that weighed 60 pounds. And so, you would you would get there, um, and you could either I, I remember you could either get a, a a wristband for unlimited slides down the slide, or you could buy them individually. I don't know what they cost, fifty cents or something like that, and they would give you these thick dark rubber bands you would ride around your wrist, and so you, you'd wear around your wrist for each ride, and you would give take them off, you would give it to the person who was at the top, they'd wait, they'd look to go see what was down there, and they're like, all right, go, boom. And you go down the slide. And th- I, here's the crazy thing about Moby Dick. Again, 
it feels like there is all this lore about places. And, and granted, obviously, Funplex is a, or excuse me, not Funplex, but Peony Park has a much longer history, much more extensive history. The Sprite Night stuff, um, it was much bigger. But there's all this lore around this and all these other places. I rarely talk to anybody in Omaha that remembers or talks about Moby Dick. Rarely. Now, maybe it's just I'm not talking to the right people on this whole thing. But Google pictures of it. There, there do not exist that I can find any pictures at all online on the entirety of the Internet about Moby Dick. And if you found them and I haven't, I would love to see where they are. And from what I can tell doing a little research is that it went up. There's a couple of Reddit threads about it. From what I can tell, it was it went up probably in the early 80s, according to some old like satellite aerial footage that people were able to find. And it looks like it closed early to mid-90s. I don't know the exact year it closed. I can't find a story about it closing. I can't find anything about this whole thing. There are a couple of stories. In 1991, there was a story about theft of some change there one night. 1990, there's a story about a fire that started in the weeds nearby and spread to one of the wooden decks, but it didn't really say that there was any damage. Um, <laughs> on the Reddit thread, there were people talking about stories from the 80s that talked about expanding it, which included some local concerns about how difficult it was to access, which I think you just got off. I think it was just right off the interstate. Like, you you could hear the cars going by the interstate on that thing. And then the also the concern that it was too easy to break into because it was just a chain fence, chain link fence that was keeping people out. So I would love to hear if there are Omaha or Lincoln or area people that have more memories of Moby Dick because it, because it barely exists. It barely exists on the Internet. I, I, I very much remember. And they would have uh, they would always have the radio playing. Uh, at at Moby Dick, and I remember they normally played Sweet 98 at the time, which obviously Sweet 98 legacy station in uh, in Omaha that went away for a while and then came back as, as Sweet 98 again. And then they would play, and then occasionally I remember we would go there and we were disappointed because they were playing uh, the the Cat, which I believe was country. You guys will have to help me out with the with the Omaha radio history. I think it was I was more familiar with Lincoln Radio than I was Omaha, but they would play country occasionally. We got to be like, "What are they doing? They're playing. They're playing country. This is terrible." We weren't interested in that at whatsoever. I still remember though. If there's one song that reminds me of that place, all these places have a song that I specifically remember a moment being there, or most of them do. Uh, I missed it on Goodrich, but Goodrich. It must have been the summer of 1986 that we really went there because I very, very much remember pulling up in the car to Goodrich on a night in probably July with Your Love by the Outfield playing. I still hear that song, and I think of the Goodrich on North 48th Street. And for Moby Dick, it's kind of a weird one. But I remember being down in the little wooden office building where you bought your tickets, and they had a, they had a couple of arcade games in there as well. And I remember from that one, I remember hearing the song... Uh, goodbye, or the na 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 na, but the one by the like acapella group, the Nylons. It was weird in the eighties. You had some songs that got randomly very popular for a very short time, and like nobody talks about them anymore. But look it up. The Nylons cover of "Kiss Him Goodbye," the one that fans sing at baseball, or excuse me, at football stadiums when the score gets out of hand. Uh, that's the one. That's the one, and that version. I want to say in probably June, July of 1986, that same time period, very popular. I still hear that song. Well, I don't hear that song much. i got to play it for myself if I want to hear it. It's not like it's being played on the radio, but that song still takes me back to the interstate in Omaha, just past 72nd. I want to say between 72nd and 84th, right off in that very industrial area, and uh, our friends at Moby Dick. And, again, not on the internet. No presence on the internet almost whatsoever for that place. I hope it does because I want to see the pictures. I want to see that. I know there are some old newspapers that have advertisements where it's like all day slides for five bucks or, or something like that. But beyond that, there's almost nothing. I still haven't seen a photo in all of my searches for it.
All right, number, let's see, 10, 9, number 8. Number 8 for me, back in Lincoln. The school skate. The summer trip to the skating rink. In Lincoln, it was Holiday Skate World between 1986 and 1989, 90 for me. This was the prime time. Ages 9 to 12, I would guess. And Lincoln had a hopping place called Holiday Skate World. That had been there. I mean, it had that place was already pretty old back there in the 80s. Pretty significantly old back in the 80s. But Holiday Skate World was on South 48th Street, about a couple blocks, block or two south of South of O Street. So across from Target and Super Saver right now to give you idea not far where another entry you can probably predict that will be on my list actually was and the skating rink just had i mainly remember summer trips to the skating rink more so than the the school skates now we did have school skates in elementary school where the entire school was invited out there to go skating and it was always so exciting there was just something it was an incredibly special event when you were going out there because you might have had a little money to spend on, on. They had a snack bar there. They had carpet. In in 1986, the decoration in that place felt really outdated. I can't imagine if we went into it now. And by the way, they closed their doors not that long ago. They closed their doors in, let's see, I had, had the article here, 2016, I believe. 2000, I mean, it was not that long ago. Yeah, July 15th, 2016. Uh, was when was an article from the Journal Star about when they were going to close. The rink opened in 1953, called Arena Skate World at that time. Changed its name to Holiday Skate World. And the family actually opened a second one, evidently, that I don't remember at 56 and Highway 2, by where the Alamo is now. Some of you a little older than me are going to remember this, because they closed that one down before I even moved to Lincoln. That was in uh, December of 69 that they opened that. So they had the one on 48th Street open in 53, the one on Highway 2 open in 69, and it was at its heyday. In my opinion, I guess I didn't see the earlier years, but it was at its heyday, 1986 to 1989. And the the biggest excitement of the whole thing was that throughout the throughout the period you were there, you had open skate going on and they would be, you know, spinning the the hot tunes of the '80s, while you just went around the went around the rink, but they'd bust out some games, okay. And the the two I most remember were the limbo and the big dice. Now limbo is fairly self explanatory. They brought the limbo stick out there. You got in a big line, and you just had to get under the stick. They didn't quite enforce the rule that you had to lean back, essentially, right? Like to be most effective at the limbo and I think to truly follow the rules of the limbo that you've got to like matrix yourself backwards and lay flat to get under it. And so the first levels of going through the limbo, and I'm not a very good skater and most of us aren't who are there at the time, we're just sort of ducking, crouching down as we get it under it and trying not to fall but also not to hit it. And so like for me, I'm going through two rounds max at that thing. But you've always got you've always got someone Felt like it was usually a girl who was able to, who was incredibly flexible and just able and very, usually not very tall and be able to do the thing where they leaned back and they got incredibly low on that thing. And they always had prizes. I don't even remember what the prizes were, but man, I was desperate to win one of those prizes. I wanted to win what they were giving away so badly at that point. And I was like, I'm not even close to winning the limbo. I'm not in the physical condition. I'm not in the flexibility percentile that I need to be to have any shot at winning the limbo. So there's only one option for me. It was when they brought the big cardboard dice out on the floor at Holiday Skate World. And I assume they had something like this at every skating rink across the country in 1986. They would put, there were numbers on the wall around the rink. I think they were on the ceiling. One through six, right? And so you would skate around, skate around. They would stop the music, kind of like musical chairs, and then you would go to one of the walls. 
you would pick a number that you would stand by. And they would roll the dice. And if the number rolled, those people were all off. You were out of there. And then you skate around again. Same thing. Roll it. Roll the dice. Lands on three. You're on three. You're out of there. And then eventually they would narrow it down enough. And they would it would get down to two, three, four people. And I would occasionally be in there. And they would get everyone to be at one of the numbers. So you'd have one person after they got down to six uh, or fewer. And then they rolled the die. And whatever number that they hit was was the winner of the whole thing. And I'll tell you what, I was in that final round a time or two, and like the adrenaline that was in my body at that moment while the music was playing, probably something like Rock Me Amadeus by Falco, which I always, for some reason, thought that, I always remember that song being playing at the roller rink, and I never won. I didn't ever win the prize, and I still can't even think to this day what the prize actually was. It was probably some poster or, or something like that. But I never hit it. And the disappointment, the disappointment, the jealousy that I felt for the people who won those games was oddly dark for a 9, 10-year-old at that time. It was oddly dark. But that wasn't where – I don't know why I had a good – I don't know why I have a nostalgic good memory of this place. Because now that I'm talking about it, it's a lot of negative stuff. And that gets me to my next point about it. The couple's skate. The lights would always go down at some point, and the DJ would get on the uh, the DJ, the MC, whatever they were called there. Get on, find that special someone right now. It's time, couples only, couples only. And I would, I would skate around, not skate around. I would walk on the carpeted area of the floor, which I had to grab the sort of brick railing that was around the skating rink, and. I don't know what I expected to happen. I, I think I expected some nice young girl. I, I know this is what I expected. I expected someone to feel sorry for me. I expected one of the girls to look at me alone and sad and to come up and propose to me that we skate together. I don't think I ever asked one somebody once. I, I, I thought that was my best method was to go ahead and sit there and look sheepish. And I'll tell you what. Didn't work worth a crap because I don't know that I ever skated with someone in a couple skate. I don't remember that I ever did that. In fact, in fact, I took probably this is probably 15 years ago. Took my son. No, it probably wasn't. It was probably more like 12 years ago. My son was still having school skates there during his early years of elementary before they shut that place down. So this is like 2012, 2011, maybe. And my wife and I took it. Took my son there, and. Um, first or second grade, and they had the couple skate. And I, I skated with my wife during the couple skate, made my son sit there and watch. Like, that was how important I righted that wrong. That, like, my my son at that point, who would have been in second grade, something like that, could have skated with me or my wife. And I was like, no, we need to write the universe right now. I need to show the universe that I can have someone else who's skating with me. And it was a real, like, I got... I got her number. How do you like those apples moments for the universe to me? Uh, and skated around with my wife. And then they tore the place down. I think it was okay then. The universe allowed that place to be torn down after I actually righted that wrong. So that was it. Holiday Skate World. The weird carpet. The orange and black carpet. Again, the smell. It's the smell in all of these places. I, I'm telling you, I could still... That smell, I can still... It's It's a combination of... Concession stand, popcorn, hot dogs, kids sweat, and leather, I think. It's the best that I can figure it out. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, it was still, somehow all of that still combined to me having a positive memory and knowing when that time was coming up that we were going there that day in the summer or that school skate. I was psyched. And I don't know exactly why, but I was. All right, so that was number eight. We might have to move. We might have to move a little more quickly here to get through this at all ten. Number seven, most nostalgic places for me during my childhood, growing up in Nebraska. It's actually on the university campus. Now, oddly enough, I just dropped off my son about a week ago to become a student. That son who we were going to a school skate years ago dropped him off to be a, a student. He's starting his freshman year at the University of Nebraska. And, you know, I don't 
spend a ton of time on the University of Nebraska campus. Of course, I go to games. I go to some events and those sorts of things over there. But even still, when I am coming in to the south side of campus and, you know, parking to go to the Union or parking to go to Love Library or I don't know why I'm I'm not really going there. But if I am, it's still one place that I almost reflexively try to go because of my childhood. And that's the old Nebraska bookstore. And this may be like such a a dorky thing for a kid to be that excited about, or maybe it's not in Lincoln, Nebraska. But the old Nebraska bookstore, and for those of you who who don't remember this, I'm not sure when they closed their doors. I want to say less than 10 years ago, maybe even less than that, right across the street from the Wendy's over there, right, in downtown Lincoln. We'll be right to the east of that, on the corner there, in the Ross Theater's over there now. Um, but that that bookstore... I did not know. I didn't know what a college bookstore was. It was called bookstore, and I always kind of wondered why they called it a bookstore because it was not about books whatsoever. There, for me, I never went into the book section. I don't think I wasn't a university student. It was the it was the Husker gear, and it was what I believe to be the largest collection pre-internet, pre-big box store selling Husker gear, pre any of that. The largest collection of Husker gear for sale. In the entire world. And the hats, the custom jerseys. Oh, I remember those jerseys on the wall. Like, And I was like, does anybody even buy those? Are those just for display or can people actually can actually buy those? All of the all of the shirts, all of the things. I, I, I was so excited because every year about August, about this time of year that we're in right now, family would take a trip down there it was like a special it was a special trip a special getaway like a field trip to nebraska bookstore and every year you would get one new piece of husker gear one new piece of husker gear and it was that moment in nebraska bookstore you had to pick what it was for that year was it going to be a sweatshirt was it going to be a t-shirt as i got older was it going to be a baseball cap always difficult to decide and then after doing that you went in the basement. And you guys remember that basement? They had part of it like turfed like a football field. Um, the posters. Oh, the racks of posters that you used to swing through and go through all of those. All of the memorabilia. I'm telling you what. There was just there was no place that you could go and see all of the swag. All of the Herbie Husker logos. All of these like mementos that you thought were completely invaluable there all of the old newspapers old posters all of it i wanted to live there i uh, being locked in there overnight would have been a dream like a night in the museum type situation for me at nebraska bookstore and the real specific memory i have is is of it also is going to going up to 1994 uh, in the after the national championship game so it'd be january of 1995 nebraska beats miami in the orange bowl the next day, I go out to the Devaney Center, like a lot of you might have, have a big celebration. They welcome them back. Um, they give the speeches. And then the next place we go at that point, this is 24 hours after the game is over, barely, not even 24 hours after the game is over. It's late afternoon on what would be, uh, I think the game was on January 2nd, and so this would have been January 3rd of 1995. Some of you were probably in the store. They basically got the truckloads of the national championship gear. They somehow got it printed within 24 hours. And they 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 had the boxes. They had people standing on tables in the middle of Nebraska bookstore. And they didn't even put anything on the rack. It was just a mass of humanity there trying to get their first bit of national championship gear. Nobody's ever had a national championship of my generation. Nobody ever had a national championship shirt or hat or anything like that. It was something we had only imagined having and so they would put the box up on the table the employees there in nebraska bookstore were standing on the table they'd take a shirt out and they would be like medium and they would just throw it out they'd they'd yell the size and so the only thing that you got when you left that day from nebraska bookstore on january 3rd 1995 was anything you were able to catch and if it was the wrong size it was the wrong size but you had something and you had that currency at that point for at least that day 
to be able to get it. And I still have a sweatshirt I caught that day. I still have a sweatshirt. Uh, it doesn't fit me anymore. I think it's in my wife's closet right now, actually. But I still have it, and it is a prized possession. But that place was seeing that place closed down. My goodness, look at this. All the the only one that I've said so far that still exists is Goodrich, and it exists in kind of a different situation as well. And I put it as an addendum also on Nebraska, Nebraska bookstore would be the Nebraska Student Union as a kid as well. There was some level of excitement to being there. I can't quite explain. For instance, my dad took me there the night before the Nebraska-Oklahoma game in 1980. Let's see, would, would this have been 86 or 87? Um, it was 1987. 1987. So they were calling it the game of the century, too. There was so much hype. Number one versus number two, Nebraska and Oklahoma. And they had an ASUN rally at the student union by the fountains there the night before. And they brought, a, a, it's still hard to believe that they did this, but you can go back and look at the old newspaper clippings. That Friday night, they had, they had these rallies that they normally did, and they had players who showed up there. Neil Smith, Broderick Thomas, um, some of the other guys. Neil Smith and Broderick Thomas were the ones that I particularly remember. And they had T-shirts on. That said, F-O-U. F, I can remember it was Oklahoma or O-U. And they opened them up, and here I am, 10 years old, on my dad's shoulders, probably. I might have been too big for that. He might have been holding me up. It was packed. And they opened them up, and that was, I think, probably the first time I had heard or seen that word used in the presence of my father. And the bloodlust that was there at that point from the crowd, from the students, from everyone who was there when Neil Smith, Broderick Thomas, and that chant started going, and I was like, what What do I do? Do I join in? Do I look at my dad? What is the appropriate thing to do in this situation? Luckily, it eventually died down. I don't think Tom Osborne knew that was happening. I'm going to guess he had no idea that was happening. Uh, but... I also remember that night we went in afterwards before before it was all over. We went in after. They just opened the Burger King in the student union. And they had just also, Burger King had just rolled out. You can Google these for some retro products thing. They had rolled out burger, burger bundles is what they were called, which we now call sliders. But they were just a little, it was a gimmick. You opened up the, the case and there were three little mini burgers in it. And they had also rolled, rolled out what were called spooners which is kind of like what McDonald's did with a McFlurry a few years later, where they just stirred in Oreos or strawberries or, or whatever in ice cream. And so I had a burger bundle and I had a spooner from Burger King in November, would have been November of 1987 at the student union. And I thought it was the best. I was eating the newest products, the most top of the line, the most top of the line, special products from Burger King that very few people were being able to have. I had just gone and heard bad words uttered by football players and naughty things said about Oklahoma, and man, I was in the zone just enough to see Nebraska get their heart broken in that game in 1987. Go watch the YouTube of it. I don't want to talk about it right now. It was tough. It was tough. And they had also done it the year before. Two home games in a row against Oklahoma. They also did 1986. 86 is the game where they wore all red. You, it's the only game you're going to see where Nebraska's wearing all red. Uh, that was the year before. 86, I went with my dad. 87, I watched on TV because my dad went with my mom. He did, do you believe he did that to me? He he I he was a graduate student at that time, so he had season tickets. He had two season tickets. And so in 80, I think it was just 86 and 87 where he was getting his graduate degree and that he had season tickets. And so I got to pick two games a, a, a year. As a 9- and 10-year-old, and my mom went to the rest of them with my dad. Wow. Man, I I, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of surprised at that, at that situation now. But nonetheless, I got to choose, though. I got the first pick in 1986, and I picked the Oklahoma game in 1986. And that was the loss. That was uh, Brian Bosworth and Broderick Thomas and... Um, uh, and it was it was rough. It was uh, it was very rough. I remember walking back from that game 
toward the reunion, the the secondary union that they had. It was in a different part of campus. They called it reunion. That's where we parked, just tears flowing down my face. So in 87, my mom must have got the first draft pick because I didn't get a pick Oklahoma. I didn't go to Oklahoma that year. I went to other games that year. And so I watched that one on TV at my aunt and uncle's house and probably cried just the same. All right, my last one I'm going to do on my spots for nostalgia for me as a child growing up in Nebraska is one that might be received controversially. I've been in many social media discussions about not so much this place, but this product. And maybe I'll be able to shed a little bit of light about why I come out where I do on this product. One of the most sacred places to me in my childhood. And this might be getting a little bit later. We focused mainly on like 86 to 89 with all of these places. So age 10 to... 12-ish. This is probably more like 89 to 95. I'm taking you back to 70th and Van Dorn or maybe a half a block to the north of 70th and Van Dorn. Right in the neighborhood where I lived. We moved. It was our second house in Lincoln. And I'm taking you to the, uh, the Valentinos there. Not the original, not the OG Vals on East Campus. But the bigger vowels, the ma- I would I would venture to say at that time in Lincoln, it was the destination vowels. There was also one downtown. There was also one out on Highway Two. Uh, there was obviously the East Campus one that I had talked about. There, there was probably another dining room one that I'm forgetting right now. But this one felt like the creme de la creme of the Valentinos. It was big. It was brick and dark. It felt like an Italian restaurant. That place, the smell. Oh, my gosh. You talk about smells. I could I could have that smell, just a whiff of that right now, and I could put, it, put me right back there immediately. But, and I don't know the exact timeline, and this is reminding me. I need to have, I need to have Tony Massinio on from Valentino's on this show sometimes and go back through, through the history. But when we first moved there in 1986, it was just a regular dine-in. Dining restaurant, dining vows, packed, incredibly popular, and they had been kind of expanding their menu, more pastas, more of that stuff on the menu. But you sat down, you ordered your pizza at the table, um, and or whatever else that you were having. And it was just a regular dining restaurant. As I recall it, at some point they started a lunch buffet to try and get people in there during the lunch hour. I think that's how it began. I, I believe they had a salad bar in there, and they expanded it to a buffet. Now, I'll have to have Tony or some of the other historians actually help me with this whole thing. But it was a hit, okay? The all-you-can-eat pizza was a hit. And I'll tell you what. As a kid who was not worried about caloric intake at that point, I can't even begin to express to you the absolute extravaganza of eating joy that that idea just the idea alone brought to me unlimited trips for this pizza at this place that always feels like a huge special occasion when you're going there. It seemed too good to be true. Now it turns out it was going to be too good to be true, but not for a few years. And when that buffet first opened, right. And I know now it seems the way that it got at the end, it felt like, like I know at some point it got to the point where "Ah, I kind of miss where you just went here. And you ordered at your table, right? And and that experience still existed. But in 1991, the buffet was still new enough and exciting enough that this was a superior experience above anything else. They had an ice cream machine. They had a salad bar. They had all the pizza. You could have four different kinds of pizza at that point. Breadsticks. They had the, the garlic rolls that were all out there. All of it. All of it was there. And it was popular as hell lined up out the door. You go in there on a Saturday night, forget it. Forget your, you better be buckled up for a 90 minute wait. And people were, they would do it. They would absolutely do it. We did it. We would wait. If it was, if it wasn't more than an hour to wait, to get in there, it felt like really doable because you know what they would do? They got so many people waiting in that lobby, and I can still just, I see that lobby, the brick and the little coat closet on the left, 
as well, and it was crowded. They had benches. There was everybody there just sitting there desperately waiting, watching all these other people going through the buffet. They would bring out they would bring out full pizzas to the waiting area. No, I kid you not, they would bring out full pizzas to the waiting area and people would sit there and have appetizers of pizza while they were waiting to go through the buffet that was full of pizza. I'm not kidding, they would do that like really frequently. They would every every 15 minutes or so they'd bring out another pizza and you'd start eating pizza before you actually sat down. It was crazy. It was so good. It was such an amazing experience. I I remember after my last day of two days, my senior year of high school football. So it's still open in '95. I went there with two of my teammates, and it was about it was about two in the afternoon because it was our second two a day, and so place was totally empty because it wasn't really at a prime time. And I bet we sat down because we're. 17, 18 years old at that point, just went through burning thousands of calories probably on a hot day in Lincoln doing two-a-day practices. And I bet we set a record for the the financial, the quantity and financial impact of food consumed and caloric value of food consumed in that day. We went through and we just wiped. We were so freaking hungry and we did not care. And we just wiped that place completely out. They could not keep, they had a skeleton staff in for two o'clock in the afternoon. And I don't think they could keep, I didn't know, I don't think they knew what to do. We just kept going back and back and back. And it was wonderful. It was just what the doctor ordered. I still think about that meal today. That was the greatest meal that I maybe have ever eaten in my life. And so if you wonder why I've got a level of loyalty, to that pizza to that experience right there is there's a lot tied to it that I'm not ever willing to let go of in terms of what that experience meant what I associated with it everything and it still has the taste that brings me back to there so I'm always gonna I'm always gonna be there on that issue there's a lot behind it I wish you could have been there you would have loved it you would have loved it you'd be very different if you had been and now I'm putting on my list to get Tony Massinio to talk about the evolution of the buffet. The other thing they had at the buffet is they got into the later years. I remember I lived on East Campus in law school. And the East Campus one, and I think the other ones too, they had a late night buffet that went from, I want to say like, I don't know, it was 9 to 11, 9 to 10, 30, something like that. And it cost a just a stupidly low amount of money because I think they were trying to get rid of everything for the day. But I want to say we used to walk over from our apartment and pay two bucks. This is in 2001. This isn't really ancient history when we were doing this. 2000, 2001, paying two or three bucks to just clear out at the end of the night everything they had. Again, absolutely taking that offer, being a poor graduate student at the time, walking right across the street. So there it is. So that's 10 through 5 for me. Uh, Goodrich Dairy, Moby Dick, Holiday Skate World, Nebraska Union slash Nebraska Bookstore, and the Val's Buffet. I have got five more of these that I'm going to go through tomorrow, excuse me, next week when I record this. And I look forward, in the meantime, hearing any suggestions that you guys may have. Uh, what do you think my last five are going to be? I know, I mean, if you're thinking you guys and you know me at all, you should be able to get two to three of them, I think for sure. I would say two to three of them. What are the things on your list, uh, especially if you grew up in, in Nebraska and Lincoln, Omaha, and we're going to have some common references. I want to go over some of them tomorrow. So shoot me a note either uh, on Twitter or Facebook uh, or via email, jackm at klin.com. And I'm curious, what are your top ten? What are your top five? What are your top one or two even if you don't have an entire list? Do you remember any of the places that I was talking about, and do you share those as well? Uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Again, we're going to go back to the regular long-form interviews. I'm, I'm getting those scheduled out right now, but going weekly, we're going to need to do some other things occasionally. We're going to try some other things occasionally, and hopefully the top 10 list or something that you like, I'll probably go some other directions and just see what I can do as well with these podcasts when we don't necessarily have a guest. But uh, I do want to I do want to kind of expand the things that we can we can do with these so we can continue to do them weekly coming out on thursday mornings 
hopefully get ourselves a sponsor as well. If you know a business that might be interested, uh, maybe even one of them that I mentioned today, a business that would like to sponsor the Jack Mitchell podcast, let me know. I would love to hook them up with a uh, with a great deal to get their name out there associated with the podcast or any other podcast at Podcast House Media as well. All right. That is it. We will uh, we'll drop part two of the Jack Mitchell Nostalgia Tour of Nebraska uh, from my childhood coming up next Thursday at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Jack Mitchell Podcast on Podcast House Media.